0: This is a Stand Up Labs production, powered by digital media. Hey, everybody. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about a bunch of things. Chris.
1: Way to throw it to me, Joey. We're going to talk about climate change, the Panama Papers, the Pirate Party, an interview with Jill Stein. Oof, this is a good one. I'd stick around. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god, this is the Mandatory Samson Podcast Coming to you live from stand-up New York Labs in New York City Hi, my name is Christopher Patrick Flannery I'm joined as always by... Joseph Anthony Noe the Third, a very good friend of mine.
0: Great open,
1: Chris. Thank you. Good energy off the top. Uh, I thank you. I feel good about it. We're also being produced by Evan. Evan. Say hi to the people. What up? There you go. Uh welcome to the show, everybody. I think we have a real nice program set up here today. Uh we got a couple of quick hits at the top. An interesting climate change update that we're gonna get Ooh. into. Interesting, really good stuff. An interesting Panama Papers update. Nice. which is also going to veer off into a little bit uh, of other stuff. We'll get off on a little tangent there, but really cool and uh, interesting. And I think something that the, our audience, our listeners might not have heard about before. So it's pretty cool. Is it a quick tangent or is it a long tangent? The tangent is probably a longer trip than the initial drive we're going on, okay. but we'll, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. We're also going to close the show with a solid 2016 update. And uh, a little something special, Joey. Uh-huh. I took some notes on an interview with Jill Stein, and we're going to play some clips from that interview on this podcast because talk about Jill Stein, then if Hillary's the nominee, I will be voting for the third party, the Green Party. And I feel like a lot of people react to that very negatively, like that's a waste of your vote and blah, blah, blah. But I don't think a lot of people know who Jill Stein is and have never really heard her talk. So I came across this interview this week with Abby Martin, and uh, we're going to listen to it. You know, I think you're, pretty much right about that.
0: I, I don't think a lot of people know Joe Stein at all.
1: They don't. Well, that becomes the problem. It, it, it's very easy to dismiss a third party, and she gets into it in some of the answers, which I really like. Oh, nice. But it's easy to dismiss a third party because they're not going to get the coverage. They're not allowed into events. And in fact... Jill Stein talks about a story when she showed up at one of the Democratic debates, I think, in 2012. Mm-hmm. She was arrested. They won't let her on stand. But it's like, is that democracy then? Is that really what we're dealing with? What 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 harm is it to let her debate? Same thing with, like, Rand Paul when they didn't let him come in or Gary Johnson or some of these other libertarian candidates. You know, okay, we're getting off on the tangent already, but we don't have time to do that yet. We're going to get into that interview. It's, it's pretty good. I think nice. you guys will like hearing Jill Stein, uh, what she has to say. Before we get into some emails and some different stuff, I want to say this. We're less than a week away, Joey, from the New York primary on the Democratic side, Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton. We're going to get into the numbers and everything mm-hmm. later. Excited? Thoughts? I think Bernie has to take it. Well, I think there's no question about that. Yeah, Bernie has to. In my opinion, this, this is it. If Bernie cannot win... By plus four is what he needs to win in New York. But obviously, if he did better than that, that'd be great. If he loses, it's over. That's or, it. Oh, his game plan is to bank everything on California. Nah, he it, it can't. It's too late. It we're we're going to get into all this in the uh, the uh, the twenty sixteen update at the end of the show. Do stick around for that. You're not going to want to miss it. We got some good stuff there. Um, there's also a debate tonight, and if you guys are l- hearing this episode and the debate already happened, I'm going to watch the debate at some point over the weekend. I'll take some notes on it. If Hillary wins New York on Tuesday, probably not going to play clips from the debate because I think the election essentially will be over at that point. If Bernie pulls it out or it's very close, um, then, you know, maybe we'll have some clips, but we'll, we'll see what happens.
0: What is the closest it would have to be for you to actually do it? He'd have to lose by like a point or
1: two. It'd have to be like essentially a tie. Okay. Or he has to win. Say he... Let's get into it later. But I'm just saying, okay. we, you know, that, that's something to look forward to. So maybe you guys watch that. And if not, check it out. Maybe we'll have some clips next week. Also, want to say this we got a bunch of plugs at the top of this thing. Uh, I always say youtube.com slash mandatory Samson. You can watch the full episode videos. Uh, and you can also watch the show stream live every Thursday at 4 p.m. by just going on there. There's a bunch of playlists. There's full episodes, uh, live stream link, which is where you can go. And also, now we've added clips. Uh, we started doing something where we're going to add. Just like little soundbite-y type of things that are that are more shareable on YouTube and whatever. Oh, that's nice. You guys feel like posting some of that stuff on Facebook or Twitter or wh- wherever you want to post it. Evan actually did a really good job. He's the one that's like uh, you know finding the clips and kind of picking what goes on there. So if you guys want to check that out, there's a playlist called Clips Now on YouTube.com/slash Mandatory Samson. Share them around. It might be a nice way, you know, without posting the whole podcast, but people can get kind of an idea of what we're talking about and, uh, you know, promote the show maybe a little bit if you feel like doing that. Cool? Yes. And thank you, Evan, for doing it. We appreciate it. Um, All right. I think that's what I have at the top of the show here. We got some emails that we're going to get into, a couple of quick ones, and then we have one later in the show that, like, kind of factors into one of the things that we're going to talk about. But we got emails from Connor Tyler, who also sent us this really nice quiz kind of like test analysis thing. Mm -hmm. It's called politicalcompass.org and you go on there and it's it's short. I mean, it's like 10 minutes. You guys should check it out, but it, it pretty much tells you where you fall on a social and economic scale politically. Okay. And me and Joey both took it and we fall pretty much in the same. We fall in the same quadrant, certainly, but um, Joey it turns out Is a little more Socialist than I am yeah, uh, baby. And I'm a little more Libertarian than Joey is But we're both Libertarian socialist You know as far as The chart is concerned Do you have any thoughts About that quick Fantastic outcome I'm very proud of my uh,
0: Choices Yeah <laughs> And let's do this.
1: Wow. Okay. I don't know what you want to do, but I'm certainly excited I'm there with you. Yeah. But anyway, if you guys want to go to politicalcompass.org, you can check that out. It's cool because it, it encompasses both. It's not just left and right. It's left and right. And then also on an economic scale, like a social scale, because uh, it shows that like Hitler what like they'd use as like dictators and different Mm -hmm. people politically from history. And it marks them on the chart also. And it shows that Hitler, although obviously he's a fucking authoritarian and wants to control all aspects of, you know, everyday life economically, he's more towards the middle because he, he had more of like this kind of like Keynesian, uh, ideology about ec- economics. So it's kind of interesting that it adds both elements. So you guys can go check that out. That's pretty cool. And thank you, Tyler, for sending that. We also got an email from Megan from Canada, who we love. She, uh, we'll get into her email later. And then I got an email from Kyle our I believe our high school friend, Kyle, but he sent it on Snapchat. So oh, that's he cool. couldn't remember well, he couldn't remember the email. It's mandatory gmail at gmail.com. I really prefer to get the emails there. Mm-hmm. Snapchat, fine, I'll screenshot it, but it's just a, more of a, a pain for me to like keep track of all that stuff. So if you have like a longer form question or something, mandatory gmail at gmail.com. Do you want to get into this first email, Joey? Yes. This is from Connor. He says, Hey guys, love the podcast. Well, of course you do, Connor. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. you. Uh, any other email would stop... Fe- <laughs> so, it's so J-Train of him. He says, stop feathering your nuts for, this far into an email, but I'm going to keep... boiling. like six words in. I know, I know. <laughs> keep boiling <laughs> your beans. With these elections going on, I think this podcast would benefit from having an additional podcast... where you and Joey live comment on election results Tuesday nights. This could be a seasonal thing where you just have two a week podcasts for now until November, or you could keep it up post-election, keep up the good work and feel the bird, which I love. Obviously referencing the Bernie bird thing, uh, from Connor. Thank you, Connor. I emailed Connor back and I was like, look, bud doing this one a week. It's a lot of work. It's tough, stuff scheduling it all. That's really what it is. I mean, if I had, you know, more free time during the day or, or, you know, to, to like prep for the show. I'd love to do the show every day, but you have work. You can't be here all the time. So, you know, one a week is pretty much what we're going to stick nice. with for now. Uh, I did say though, potentially like once it gets to the two nominees, like whoever it's going to be, maybe we will do like a live election, uh, not election, um, uh, like debate coverage or something. One of the nights. Oh,
0: that'd be so much fun. So We'll,
1: we'll look into that. So that could be something that we do. Uh, all right. This is an email from Tyler, who also sent us, uh, like I said, this politicalcompass.org chart, which I think is really cool. He says, hey, man, don't know if you saw this, but figured you might be interested. Stephen Hawking and Yuri Milner are doing an announcement right now about this Starshot project for space exploration. He sent me a link, and then I emailed him back, and I was like, "What? Uh, what's this about? Basically, we're just going to get into it quickly if you guys want to do some of your own research, but I thought it was cool that he sent it and it's a really interesting thing. Uh, Pretty much they're sending out these, uh, well, let me just read what he wrote. The ideal scenario is to reach Alpha Centauri in a generation, which is the closest star system to ours, but still 4.37 light years away, which is like 25 trillion miles. Um, They're hoping to get the probes. They're sending out these probes. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, to go 20% the speed of light so it could reach in less than 20 years. And our, okay. So anyway, so they're setting out what? Uh, this sounds
0: like pure science fiction to me.
1: Oh, of course it is. It Na- is.
0: Nano, nano craps. Yeah. That are the size of a wafer, a big, that's going to have cameras, thrusters, power supply, navigation, communication.
1: Absolutely. Well, that's what that they're is. It to- is big. Yeah, well, yeah. Joe, I mean, for those of you, you can't see, Joe's doing like a little—I <laughs> yeah. don't know—what a big. hockey puck size yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah this big. Um, they're trying to send these probes out there to obviously get to see if they can get stuff to go that far, mm-hmm. and then also try to send back some information because you know that's the easiest way to get. And the
0: they want to use the lasers to shoot it across. I don't know. It's it's way too. Sound- well, yeah, because they can
1: they can measure distance by where the lasers hit. You know what I mean? So like when the laser stops going past the thing, they know they're hitting something. That's how they can measure it. But in any event, if you guys want to look into it, it's an interesting thing. Tyler, if you're listening, feel free. You can send us more information about that whenever you want. Um, Like you're saying, yeah, they're really small. It sounds like science fiction. Yeah. That's that's Moore's law. The rate of technology doubles every 18 months. The reason why that's possible is because they can increasingly make technology smaller and smaller. And so you're always innovating based on the change in size of technology. So that's kind of how that works. All right. Let's close up with this. This Kyle Snapchat question, he uh, sent me a snap at man, Samp. incidentally. He says, hi, Chris. Nice job recently with the podcast. It's been doing a great job keeping me up to date with a lot of the things I don't hear about on the news. Well, awesome. That's I'm happy to hear that. I have a question for you. Uh, that you might be able to help out with and even discuss a little bit on the air. Basically, I know more. Th- this is very confident. He goes, basically, I know more than most about the presidential candidates and their views. Uh, I understand a great deal of Bernie's ideologies, but there's something I hear a lot of people bring up that I can't necessarily answer. Bernie talks a lot about raising minimum wage, making college cheaper, helping people who can't afford insurance, helping the climate, et cetera. My question and something uh, a lot of people have talked to bring up is how he plans on paying for it all. This is something I'm seeing more and more on social media. I lost my place. About people not understanding. Okay, blah, blah, blah. But I'm just not aware. Sorry about this ungodly long message. I just forgot that the email, uh, what the email was and couldn't find you saying it on any recent episodes. Anyway, it'd be great to hear you discuss a little bit about this since I'm having a hard time with it myself. Love what you're doing. It truly does have a huge impact, at least in my life. That's awesome, man. I really wow, appreciate thank that. You. It's great. It's really nice to hear. We appreciate it. Um, this is what I'm going to say. I put a link here. You can go to BernieSanders.com slash issues slash how Bernie pays for his proposals. Okay, Whoa, and it spells ex- it right out. Yeah, and it breaks down. Now look. That's obviously a biased opinion of how to pay for those things. That's like in an ideal scenario. That's the way Bernie's planning it out. Does that mean that that's how that's going to work all the time? Probably not. Not probably not, but maybe not, right? So you got to do a little more research into it. But Bernie does lay it out. And then once you see how he's planning on doing it, I'm sure you can look up articles that would say one way or another whether that's true or whatever. You can try to get consensus on it. I will say this, though. This argument comes up a lot generally about like, oh, you're just giving stuff away to people Like, who are going to pay for it. the military budget this year is almost $700 billion. Is if, it really? Yes. If you cut the military budget in half, let's say, which is reasonable by any stretch of the imagination, people think that we're if you cut our military budget in half, we still have the biggest military in the world by like two or three times the closest one. We'd be fine. That's $350 billion right there. You could pay to send everybody in this country that wants to go to college for free. Right there by cutting the military budget in half. Also, if you're going to take... You know, if Bernie's going to take office, he's going to look through a lot of where we're spending money. We're not going to be spending money on overseas wars. Bernie's going to force corporations to actually pay their fair share of taxes. They're only paying an effective tax rate of 14%, which is what we're going to get into in a second. If you actually make them pay that 35%, you've raised a billion, you've raised a hundred more billion dollars. So then you have 400 billion extra dollars. That you get to spend on the citizenry of the country instead of going into the coffers of these offshore accounts. Infrastructure. Yeah, absolutely. But this this is the other thing. This shit doesn't have to be done year to year. That's the other problem. Bernie's saying to fix the infrastructure of this country, it's a trillion dollars over 10 years. That's $100 billion a year. That's doable. It's all about prioritizing. We can choose to spend a lot of money building up Iraq, I guess, or or Afghanistan, or whatever that's where we're pouring our money into, or all these military bases around the world, or if we really are the greatest country on earth and that it's a fucking blessing from Christ to be in this country, then how about the citizens of the United States get a base level of security, food, housing, and health insurance? How about that? That's where we could just redirect the money because there's only X amount of money in the world. We talked about it last mm-hmm. week ninety five trillion or whatever. Same thing applies here. There's only X amount of money in this country. Let's spend it on things that people in this country actually need as opposed to, you know, trying to world build and do all this stuff around the globe. So that's my generic answer. But again, go to the Bernie page for sure. And I encourage anybody to do this. Go to that Bernie page. See how he says he's going to pay for the proposals. And then based on those proposals, go look at articles from the left, from the right, and see, you know, try to get a consensus. and Then you can determine whether he's actually going to be able to pay for those things. But fucking people, th- this is the thing, Kyle, let me tell you this. People that are annoying like that, that just come up to you, who's going to pay for it? I don't know, you tell me. You tell me, because I did the research, I went to his website, I looked at it, and I cross-referenced with some other articles. Don't come at me and ask me an open-ended question. I don't have to explain it. And I don't care how he's going to pay for it. I want him to pay for it, and he'll figure it out. It's not my job to worry about it. Fuck you. Uh, no. Wow. <laughs> no, you know what I mean? But it's like, that's, that's a very easy argument. How's he going to pay for it? Well, he's going to pay for it somehow. And, and, I, is- and I would wow. assume it's going to involve taxes and redirecting spending on shit. We don't need to stuff that we, you know, half the country, God willing, thinks we do need. So we'll see what happens. All right. Yes. Let's move on to this. This is our first story. Thank you, Kyle, for the email. Thank you everybody else for the, uh, the emails and Megan, From Canada, I promise, we're going to get to your email uh, at the end of the program during the 2016 update. Corporate America's tax rates. Mm -hmm. Ready for this? Yes. This fits in nicely. I feel like, let me say this also uh, at the top of the show here. We talked about a lot of stuff last week about the global economy, the internet, democracy. You know, we're always talking Mm -hmm. about money and, and corporate taxing and all this stuff. Got a lot of stories that really tie into what we talked about last week, as though the universe is helping us script this podcast as we go along. It's very nice. That's nice to
0: the universe.
1: Look, Joey, you know what? You put out what you get back, and I feel like we're putting out a good vibe, and we're trying to do the right thing here. Corporate tax rates. According to a study released by the Government Accountability Office, uh, interestingly requested, the study was requested by Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders, Mm. uh, two-thirds, two-thirds, of U.S. corporations did not pay federal income taxes from 2006 to 2012. They two-thirds of U.S. corporations didn't even pay federal income taxes at all.
0: Oh, so that's like six years. Yeah, of money that wasn't taxed that's sitting overseas.
1: Yes, correct. Nice. Right. We're going to keep going with this. In 2012 alone, 42.5% of government accountability office defined large businesses did not pay federal taxes, including 20% of big corporations that posted a profit. They benefited from tax loopholes and incentives such as – listen to this one. This is a fucking crazy one that I – you know, you – makes sense, but you, you don't know about this stuff until you start actually reading about it. They're allowed to roll over their losses from previous years and then deduct those losses from their current tax burden. So if they lo- <laughs> so if they lost $100 last year, let's just say, and then this year they made $400, they can say, oh, well, but we're going to deduct that loss we took last year into the profits we made this year, so we're only going to pay taxes on $300 worth of profit as opposed to 400 this year or whatever, or they could break even, you know what huh. I mean? So it's like... What, what, how does that make any sense? That makes no sense, but we're losing revenue there. And this goes to Kyle's question. How's Bernie going to pay for it by making them pay their taxes? How about yeah. that? Simply just making the system work correctly. Um, profitable corporations paid an effective, like I said, tax rate of 14%. Thoughts on that, Joe? It's too low. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the thing. Corporations are going to bitch and whine about the fact that the corporate tax rate is 35%, but they're not paying 35%. That's that at all. They're never paying that amount. And then you talk about these bigger corporations or these bigger businesses like Coke, the Coke brothers or whatever. They buy smaller businesses, make them and that's and then they funnel their money through those smaller businesses. So they're actually paying lesser tax rates when they should be paying much higher tax rates because they—they're a huge conglomerate of these smaller corporations, you know.
0: The one thing I was thinking about with uh, there was a lot of talk about Obama trying to get the money overseas back yeah. with only doing like a one-time thing of fourteen percent. Right, I think that's too high.
1: You think? Well, let's exp- because, hold on. Okay, go, ahead, go, go. Finish your point.
0: Because that kind of screwed you out of that money already. So at least get it back, and it might be more of an incentive if you drop it a few points, make it ten percent. At least get the money back in the country.
1: Yeah, I mean, I hear that argument, and that's, I mean, that's a bit of a Republican argument to to a certain extent. I mean, the whole the, you, what you're talking about, just to put it in context, is the corporate inversion thing, mm-hmm. where I think it's Burger King. I want to say, but don't quote me on this. They bought Tim Hortons. Excuse me, which is a kid, which is a Company, I guess that's headquartered in Ireland or something. Mm-hmm. Pretty much what happens is bigger corporations buy a smaller business that is incorporated in a place that has no t- taxes or very low tax rates. like Ireland has like a twelve percent tax rate or something. So a big corporation that operates out of America buys a smaller business that is has their taxes out of Ireland, and then that's where they run all their taxes through, even though they're operating in America. So they're paying a very tiny tax rate. The point being a lot of that money stays overseas. The United States is one of the only countries in the world or of the big industrial countries, maybe where if corporations want to bring their money back into this country, it gets taxed at a rate at a high rate to to bring that money back into this country. So people have argued, well, we should just have like a moratorium period where corporations can bring the money that they have overseas back into this country and it'll be taxed at a very low rate. Like you're saying 14% or something. And you're saying potentially even lower. Yeah, you just have so to drop get it, that money yeah. back in. I disagree. I actually go the opposite way. I think if we want to because Trump talks this big game where he's like, you just got to be when China thinks you're serious. OK, when corporations think you're serious, this is what I would say. Go ahead. Incorporate your your country out, of you know, in Ireland. Sell your products in Ireland. You are no longer allowed to operate in America. You have 60 days to get out of America. Wow. Bye. Let's see how let's see how long they want to operate out of just Ireland. I think you need a big stick for that one, though. Yeah, well, I think uh, Bernie Sanders. I think he <laughs> has. a... But you know what I mean. Like, I understand the argument, and I think you probably could do that to get the money back in. But you're still. But then you're just accepting defeat. You're like, okay, you guys tricked us. Now you can put <laughs> you your guess. money back in for less less than what we even less than what you're even tricking us into taxing you. You know what I mean? Fuck you. I, I, I don't agree with that. It's unpatriotic. It's not moral you know it's a corrupt system mm. so you shouldn't accept that I think once you're out and you want to sell your products somewhere else or you want to be taxed like you live in Ireland go to Ireland that's how I feel about it I hear your point though I mean that, I don't think we're going to do that but no. yeah. you know but to bring money back in yeah I think it should be taxed at, at least the effective rate which is 14% but f- fuck them we got to give them a break to bring their business back here it's that you're not good enough then to be in this country that's not how we operate do you think Hillary would close any of those loopholes? No way, anyhow, right? I mean, look, it, like what loop? Like the what do you mean? Like what loop? Oh, like this, like rolling over your losses and yeah, stuff like and a that. All other stuff. I don't think so, man. I got to be honest. I think she is. We talk about this a lot. There's two parties in this country, two major parties. There's way more than that. They are both two factions of the business party. All right, they're they're both owned. Republicans are probably 100% or 98% owned by business, and the Democrats are probably like 97% owned by business. You know what I mean? So yeah. they're, they're, it's just different businesses that own them. That That's all it is. So Hillary might, might do a little more to try to rein some of this stuff in, but at the end of the day, I don't think that's Hillary's main concern. I think Hillary's main concern is being – the president. I think she likes the idea of power we've talked mm-hmm. about and maybe social issues is stuff that she's going to try to focus on what equal pay for women, things like that. But Hillary's a war hawk and pretty much a moderate. I, I don't think she has any interest in curtailing business. Like she's always talking about like, I'm a moderate that likes to get or get whatever. I'm, I'm a progressive that likes to get things done. We need to rein in spending, but we need to work with business. Like, okay, so you're just going to kind of let them do what they want. And as long as it appears as though you're doing something, you're going to be fine. You know, um, is she, would she be less business friendly than any of the Republicans? I don't know. Maybe, mm. maybe a little bit, but I, but I can't, I don't, she's nowhere near how Bernie would probably rein them in. Where you know like yeah. even with the frack, you just listen to her answers the way she like kind of equivocates on all these answers I, I don't think she's no I don't think she's gonna rein it in much if at all I think she's she's a status quo type of person I think if things seem like they're going good and nobody's the polling shows that people think it's fine yeah she'll leave it alone she's gonna leave it alone yeah Um. alright let's move on I got a nice climate change update here you ready mm-hmm. Uh, a team of clients and this we have a video here actually this is a good video oh nice A team of climate scientists who are authors of previous climate consensus papers, so papers that show that all of these scientists agree that climate change is a man-made thing and is actually happening. A team of these people that have written papers got together to author a new paper measuring the actual consensus that exists amongst experts to debunk the no consensus myth. A lot of times you hear 97% of climate change scientists agree, or 97% of scientists agree that climate change is real, human caused, and all this stuff. People on the right, and we're going to see it in the video, are like, that's not true. I'm being Ted Cruz, in case you couldn't tell. Mm-hmm. That's just not the case. I would note that it's one paper, blah, blah, blah. They try to say that 97% is an inflated number, and that's not true, and it's more like 50-50, and blah, 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 but it's, it's not true. And these scientists got together, and I have their names here. I'm going to read their names. Look them up. They got together to write this paper saying no. It's 90 it's between 90 and 100 percent agreement that climate change is a real thing. We'll hear it in the video. These are the names of the scientists and then we'll play it. John Cook, Naomi Oreskes, Peter Doran or Duran, William Andereg, Bart Verhagen, terrific. Ed Maybach, the car heir, Jay Stewart Carlton, Stefan Lewandowski, Andrew Scooge Sarah Green, Dana Nucitelli. Peter Jacobs, Mark Richardson, Barb Barbel Winkler, which is a rough name, Rob Painting, great <laughs> one, and Ken Rice. All right, these are the climate scientists that got together to write this paper to say the consensus is real. Can we stop distorting the facts on this? Because that in and of itself is a problem where people go like, I don't know, I guess the scientists don't even agree. They do. You're being silly. So let's play this video. Uh It's like, you know, four minute clip. It's I think it's a good clip. We can comment on it as it's going through. And then I have a little wrap up to this uh, this climate discussion, but let's listen to the clip uh, about climate consensus. You ready, Joe?
2: Ninety seven percent of scientists, including, by the way, some who originally disputed the data, have now put that to rest. They've acknowledged the planet is warming, and human activity is contributing
3: to it. A survey of thousands of scientific papers. Uh, that took a position on climate change, found that 97% endorsed the position that humans are causing global warming. Some 97% of scientists
4: who have written in peer-reviewed journals say the following. Climate change is real. It is significantly caused by human activity.
3: 97% of scientists... That's David
1: Cameron talking, incidentally. He's in trouble over this whole Panama paper. well' He came out the other day and was like, I don't have any investments in offshore accounts. Yeah, because he took it out like two weeks ago.
2: Because <laughs> I guess
1: he maybe had an inkling that some of the shit was going to come out. Yeah, but somebody it, knew something. But oh, whatever. We're getting to Panama Papers after this uh, climate update. So let, let's continue here.
2: Over have said <coughs> that climate change is urgent and man-made and must be addressed. Forever a decade. Study out. Okay, this is
1: John Cook, the guy that I mentioned in that list of scientists. He's from the University of Queensland. He's a climate scientist not the most exciting guy in the world but i think it's relevant what he's saying so let's let's listen to sweet john cook
2: the study has found that 97 percent of publishing climate scientists agree that humans are causing global warming but what do the general public think i'm here at the brisbane city mall to find out what percentage of climate scientists do you think agree that humans are causing global warming 95 percent
3: probably 50 percent 75% 75% I think. 80%, yeah? 85?
5: 80,
2: so would you like to know who was closer then?
5: <laughs> yeah. I think I
2: was closer. 100%. Between 5 and 10%? Not,
5: not a lot.
2: Oh hang on, sorry, other way around. 95%, but like 50-50. I
6: would
5: say 80%. 95%. I would say 50. Oh.
1: that guy says half can I just say this guys when you're watching a clip of people and they're being asked like man on the street type of stuff Mm -hmm. if somebody goes if somebody does this move they don't know just ignore what they're about to say because they have no idea what the answer is if you don't know just say I don't know Mm -hmm.
2: there's a huge gap between what many of the public think about the scientific consensus and the actual 97% agreement among climate scientists. John Cook here
1: is saying, there's some graphics in the video, but it, it's fine. It's mostly audio, but it's 67% is the number that most people think scientists agree. That only It's only like two-thirds of scientists. It's actually like almost 100% of scientists.
2: Why is there such a large consensus gap? One contributor is misinformation. The 97% agreement thrown around... The head of the U.N. IPC said that number was pulled out
5: of thin air. That 97% number, that, that's that been debunked in several studies. This
4: 97% is essentially pulled from thin air. The stat about the 97%
2: of, of, of
7: scientists is based on one discredited study.
2: 97% of all scientists believe... It's a bogus number? It's so not a bogus it's number. It's so a bogus Okay, number. yours is, mine no, is, yours <laughs> is mine. <laughs> from clips like this, you'd think there's a vigorous debate about whether scientists agree that humans are causing global warming. We're often exposed to contradictory messages in the media. How do we see through the misinformation and get to the truth about consensus? I joined with scientists who authored seven of the key studies into the consensus on climate change. When we looked collectively at the wide range of consensus studies, we found that the expert scientific consensus on human-caused global warming is between 90 to 100%. The higher the expertise in climate science, the stronger the agreement on human-caused global warming.
1: That, which is a b- huge point that I think gets thrown in the garbage by a lot of people that aren't interested in this type of thing. The more you know about climate science. The higher the number. Right. The more you agree that it's a, it's a real thing. People that are just scientists but maybe don't deal with climate, they might have a lesser opinion of it. And so they might be like, well, I don't know. I'm not 100% because they're not studying it every day. Right? I yes. mean, it just makes sense. That's but, not their forte. But that's like asking a baseball player what the best uh, skates are for a hockey player. Why would they know? They would go to the hockey players first, see what they think generally. Then you could ask people that are athletes. You know what I mean? Like, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, but when you're
0: trying to send out misinformation, that's how you do it.
1: Oh, absolutely. It's very easy to, to mislead and confuse people, especially with the proliferation of, uh, you know, media
2: like this. When you get to climate scientists who have published peer-reviewed climate research is 97% agreement. But the fact that consensus gets stronger with higher expertise is exploited by those looking to cast doubt on the consensus. They do this by selecting groups of scientists that have lower expertise in climate science. To get-
1: and, and on the chart it shows economic geologists, meteorologists not publishing clients, climate science research. Right, why the fuck would they know? they would yeah not all scientists are the same thing they all, they all would you go to a um, you know an orthopedist for heart surgery no no but they are doctors you know what I mean it's like it's a totally different thing
2: at a lower level of scientific agreement and argue that there's no consensus using non-experts to cast out on the expert consensus is a key characteristic of science denial known as the appeal to fake experts this approach was employed by Richard Toll in a comment criticizing the 97% consensus. Toll misrepresented a number of consensus studies betraying- It's Dr.
1: Toll, he's saying, T-O-L, if you guys wanna look him up.
2: ...expert groups as representative of the expert consensus. The scientists who authored those studies were none too happy with how their research was misrepresented.
1: Here's some of their quotes. A completely irresponsible use of our data. (laughs) He is misrepresenting scientific work, in this case, mine. This is by no means a correct or valid interpretation of our results. Okay.
2: (laughs) But on the positive side, Toll's misrepresentation of all those studies brought the authors of seven key studies together to publish a full view (coughs) on the scientific consensus on climate change. Our paper established a consensus on the consensus being between ninety to a hundred percent expert agreement on human caused global warming, with a number of studies finding ninety seven percent consensus.
1: Okay, I mean, there you go. Thoughts on that, Joey? Ninety seven is not high enough.
2: <laughs> it's got to be a hundred.
1: <laughs> oh no, uh, no, you, you know. But I think it's. I think that's important too. That factors into this whole thing where people are against climate or they don't think it's real, although we see the numbers going up, but. Even even that, like distorting that scientists agree is part of the strategy, which makes sense because if you if the scientists don't even agree, how why am I supposed to? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But but they do. Rest assured
0: okay. they do. So we have a high number and now we have to take steps and fix it and finding a solution.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, totally. I mean this next election factors into that immensely. I mean, we are running out of time. There's only a a few generations left before this climate problem affects everything in everyday life. You know what I mean? I mean, it's really that serious and it takes a long time to reverse it. It's like the Titanic heading towards the iceberg. If you see the tip of the iceberg, it's probably too late. You know what I mean? No, you have to say that, but that's the reality. That's what happened. They saw it too late. They couldn't turn the ship fast enough. And so it blah, 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 dotted the whole hull, And then, you know, Rose and Jack lost their, uh, lost their love. Yeah, and That's how earth is heading. Joey with this whole climate thing. Like if we could start to see the ice cat, you know, the, uh, the ice shelves calving and we start to see people's houses being washed away. We're getting towards too late time. That's the tip of the mm-hmm. iceberg. You better, you better start turning the ship. Uh, Let's wrap up with this uh, as far as the climate stuff is concerned. According to a new study from the National Renewable Energy Laboratory, as I like to say, the United States could satisfy 40% of its total electricity demand from solar panels alone by putting panels on every flat, sunny rooftop in the country. 40%, right now we use 0.4% of our electricity, comes from solar panels.
0: That's it, 0.4?
1: Yeah. So you can do 100 times better than that. By just putting it on all the flat, sunny rooftops in this country, they counted, according to the study, they counted only rooftops receiving enough sun to power panels efficiently, and they didn't count parking lots or large-scale industrial facilities, Hmm. which, obviously, that's a lot more uh, real estate there. Who would pay for that, though? I I fear that would be the catch. What do you mean? Well, I mean, businesses could get involved in this, right? Or yeah. this could be part of the infrastructure program. Mm. You know, I've also seen some stuff. I don't know how viable it is as far as something that could be done on a, a large scale. But I forget where it is. I want to say – I don't even want to guess where it is. But they they showed the possibility of replacing all the asphalt in, the, in, in this country mm-hmm. with solar panels. So you're driving on these, like, really tough material solar panels – that absorb the sunlight and power the whole city. Oh
0: my God, that's awesome.
1: Yeah, right? It's awesome. That's the, that's the thing. I'm glad you said that's awesome. It is awesome. When you, when you see this stuff and you go, oh wow, we could be powering like half the country with solar panels if we just you know, took the initiative yeah, did it the did right that. way. Uh, doesn't that feel good, though, to like do something efficiently and smart and feel like you're advancing as a society not just being these fucking Luddites who are like, nope, gotta still, gotta dig coal out of a fucking mine because you know, people in 1870 did it in Pennsylvania. Like, no. That's we how it was could. always done, so
0: you do it the same yeah, way. We
1: could power, pow, power we could harness the power of the sun. That's incredible to me. It would look cool. It'd be sweet. Why, why don't we do that? I'm just putting it out there so when people say, well, oh, it's not really viable. No, it is. You can power almost half the country or you know, all half of our energy needs just by having solar panels on all the roofs. That's awesome. Yeah, it is pretty awesome. All right. Uh, let's see. How far in are we? About 40 minutes. Okay. I guess we'll do a Panama Papers update right now. Okay. And then if we're going to have uh, some kind of break or something like that, we'll take it after this. But... This is the part of the show where we're going to talk a little bit about the Panama Papers, and then we're going to take that nice detour into what I'm talking about. I think it's a really fun, uh, interesting segment that we're about to get into here. All right. Clifford Gaddy, an economist with the Brookings Institute, who's an expert on Russia's economy, published a blog post last Thursday outlining his thought that Russia itself leaked the Panama Papers. Ooh. Yeah. Interesting, right? I was reading a Washington Post article about it. They bullet pointed from Gaddy's blog, essentially okay. like what his, what, what his reasoning is. Uh, and then I have a uh, Clifford Gaddy quote that we'll get into, but let me read the, uh, the bullet points as to his thinking. It was a hacker backed by the Russian government who emailed the German newspaper, Suddeutsche Zeitung to offer the leak in early 2015, the initial contact that would eventually lead to the release of the Panama Papers. Hmm. All right. There's deliberately little information within the Panama papers that harms Putin. While the $2 billion figure has been reported widely, the link to Putin is relatively obscure and the Russian president has survived far worse accusations of corruption, which we've talked about the cellist. Yes. Some of his friends, some of the offshore accounts, but it doesn't directly mention Putin. Meanwhile, there's plenty of information in the Panama papers that has already proven extremely embarrassing for other world leaders at the least gaddy argues this makes putin and his reputation for corruption seem like less of an outlier and more of standard operating practice which is interesting yeah. and then the final point is the fact that so few americans have been linked to the panama papers could suggest that their details were deleted from the documents given to soy dutch uh, s z and passed on to the other media outlets if this is true gaddy suggests the lack of this information in the release means that it could be being held back for blackmail purposes Mm. interesting now I'm not saying this is the case I'm just saying I read this it's interesting and Gaddy himself I have a quote here you know he's not saying this is a hundred percent but it's just a suggestion
0: well also the thing we have to keep in mind with the uh, Pamina no nope. Panama Panama. there you go the papers, is the fact that this was the fourth biggest institution that does this Yes. imagine the other three and I bet you the other three is going to have a lot more Americans in it
1: Totally reasonably they could, but also we talked about it last week. The the Americans don't necessarily have to be involved in these. We have our own shit set up here in Delaware. It's fine. Clifford Gaddy, he says, it's certainly not a theory, hardly even a hypothesis. It's more a suggestion of something that ought to be seriously investigated, referring to the fact that Russia might have leaked the papers themselves. How can we ever know if the Panama Papers are complete? So far, everyone seems only to be asking what secrets are in the Panama Papers. We should also ask, are these se- are there secrets in Mossack Fonseca's original files that are not in the Panama Papers, which I think is kind of what you're alluding to. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of information out there from different banks, or even from Mossack Fonseca, that we don't know about. It's interesting stuff. What? Gut feeling on this, you think? I mean, to me, it sounds a little far-fetched, but I think it's just an interesting thing that he's putting out there. It's... it's Mm, I don't know. Blackmail is blackmail. You're saying that r- maybe Russia does it so they do have this kind of like Trump yes. card to play. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, wouldn't it be fascinating? I said Trump card and it just reminded me. Wouldn't it be amazing if they took Trump's name out of it so when he becomes president or something they can fucking... <laughs> they blackmail him. Yeah. That. Wouldn't that be amazing? Uh, is that a impeachable offense? I guess well, it Hillary is. too. I mean, Hillary. God knows. I'm, I said the Clinton Global Initiative. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Now, the only thing is, does that same Russia, Russian hacker try to go after another institution, though?
1: Well, he could. I mean, I think the point was that, you know, he was working for Russia. Like, yeah. It's not like he's just some rogue guy. I mean, which is the possibility. There could be some hacker that did it. Or it could be somebody that worked for the company or whatever. We're, you know, we'll find out in time. Or maybe we won't ever find out. And this is just kind of a fun hypothesis. Well, I don't think we're ever going to find out, truly. We'll see. Um, yeah, I really don't know. I don't have one. a guess one way or another. Um, okay, so that's like just an interesting thing if you guys wanted to look into it. And again, that was a Washington Post article I read, and the guy's name is uh, Clifford Gatti, Gaddy, G A D D Y. Meanwhile, this is where we we the road you know diverges in the woods or whatever. Meanwhile, back in Iceland, Joey, mm-hmm. the coalition government and new prime minister Sigurður Ingit uh, Johansen have refused to curl, call early elections. The guy that stepped down, Sigmundur Gunnelson or whatever his name is, he pretty much appointed his friend here, uh, Sigurdur Johansson, to take over for him. Oh, okay. And so he kind of is like holding on to power in a lot of ways because like he sort of formed the government that took over after he resigned. So it's sort of like this shammy kind of situation that we're going to get into in a minute. But they are not calling. They're refusing to call elections. Uh Uh-oh. What, what, why would they, why would they refuse to call elections, Joey? Because
0: if you have an election,
1: somebody you don't want would win. And we can't have that. That's exactly right. You hold on to power. And yes, you don't want somebody that you don't want in there getting power, especially because opinion polls have found that the current government would be trounced in an immediate election by Iceland's branch of the pirate party. Oh, that is awesome. Which was founded in Sweden in 2006 to fight for internet freedom and direct democracy. They have three seats in Iceland's parliament as of right now. And last week they had their first major legislative victory. They repealed alongside other opposition parties, Iceland's law against blasphemy. So you can go out now and you can shit talk and say whatever you want about different religions. It's not this sacred thing that you're not allowed to talk about. So that's something that the the pirate party actually did now. I have some pirate party information and some quotes. I love this story. <laughs> it really makes me happy. How <laughs> big is the boat? What boat? The boat that they have, the pirate party, right? Oh. Come on, Joey. Uh well let me say this. The yeah. reason why they're called the Pirate Party is not because they have a boat, although they might because they're that cool. The Pirate Party that for those of you that don't know, and I don't know really anything about this website, but I'm just gonna I'm just gonna give you the information. I'm not advocating for it or anything. There's a website called the Pirate Bay. The Pirate Bay is one of the biggest uh sites where you can go on to download torrents. Torrents are files where you can get TV shows, movies, music for free. It's Illegal, quote illegal downloading. That's what it is, right? So this started in Sweden, and or their their servers are in Sweden. It's like a whole complicated thing. You guys could look into that. But the Pirate Party was born out of the idea of the Pirate Bay, which is the free exchange of information, no copyrights. It's information, so we should all share it because it's on the internet. That's where the the idea came from. Now this is directly off the Pirate Party's website. This is how they explain mm-hmm. themselves. And I love this because we talked about this last week. You you said, it's actually in one of those clips I was talking about on Mandatory Samson, uh, uh, YouTube.com slash Mandatory Samson, w- the power of the internet, how it's like a democratizing thing. And you, you were, we were just kind of talking about mm. that. This fits right in line with it, which is why it's really cool. This is what I'm talking about. The universe is helping us write this thing, Joey. The Pirate Party. We live in a time which is unique in the history of mankind. Never before have so many had the possibility of communicating so easily with each other. Never before have so many had such access to knowledge. Never before has the spreading of information led to such fast-paced technological, cultural, and financial progress, which has also opened so many possibilities for participation and democracy, which is precisely what we were talking about. This progress has to go on. The pirate party wants information to be free, not kept behind closed doors. Sharing culture should be encouraged, not outlawed. People should be able to communicate without fearing that others are listening in. Everyone, regardless of their functional impairments, their age, and their finances, must have a practical opportunity to use the new technology and take use of the ongoing progress. We are convinced that people who have access to communication free from surveillance grow, feel better, and lead uh, lead a better and more humane world together. The freedom to be who you are increases and it becomes all the more easier to strive to become who you want to be. So that's what that party's founded on. Does that sound like a good idea to you? Yeah, it sounds very humanistic. It sounds very humanistic and it sounds very modern. That sounds like where we are now. If you're on the internet and you're listening to this podcast. This shit was not possible 10 years ago. You know what I mean? Like, we're, we all, I feel like when, when we do this podcast, I don't feel like it's just me and you sitting here or Evan sitting here producing it. I feel like there's a whole, you know, the thousands of people listening to this podcast every week. I feel like you guys are here with us. Like, we're talking, we're having this collaborative. Yeah, information collaborative Right. And that's only possible because of the internet. And I love it. And I love that this is something that the Pirate Party is putting out there. I have a quote from Asta Helgedotter. I believe is how you pronounce that name. I, if you're from Iceland, let me know how to pronounce this stuff. I'm sorry. She's an Icelandic par, uh, pirate party representative. This is what she has to say about the fact that they're not calling elections and you know how she feels about the current government. She says that the government reshuffle was, quote, a farce, and the coalition's plan to delay elections is, quote, not what the people are asking for. Quote, the current crisis demonstrates that the country needs the new constitution her party has promised, our party has promised, to implement with some, of me- uh, some sort of mechanism for more direct democracy and ways to ensure that politicians have to listen to the people. This is all interconnected. Internet freedom is about how to practice fundamental human rights in the 21st century, and democracy is one of those rights. It's unbelievable. I mean, it's like we <laughs> we talked about this mm-hmm. last week. Yeah. I mean, how, how do you feel about this? Oh, well, let me say before you yeah, yeah. Oh, I have a clip of Brigitte Jan's daughter. I believe is how you pronounce it. It's like a three-minute clip. It's from this documentary called The Switzerland of Bits. Iceland is trying to become the Switzerland of Bits. They're going to remain neutral, and everything is bits, like, you know, kilobits, are going to be free in Iceland. That That's like their mentality, the Pirate Party. Okay?
0: Oh, that could be a game-changer.
1: Well, absolutely, and it has been. I mean, they, they've they been involved in, you know, Wiki. I'm, I'm going to get into it the clip we're going to play of this Brigitte John's is from Judith Ehrlich's documentary, the Switzerland of bits. It's just a clip. It's like three minutes. This woman helped edit WikiLeaks collateral murder video, which I've talked about a number of times on this podcast. It is one of the most impactful things for me in my lifetime, seeing that and like really putting war and, the way that the United States has done business around the world, like it really puts it into context. She helped edit that video. So that's the pedigree that this person is coming from. Let's play this clip. That's how we're going to wrap it up. And then I'm also going to go on a little bit of a tangent about Aaron Schwartz, who's brought up in this video, who I asked before the podcast, Evan's not sure who he is and you're not either. No, I'm not. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe our listeners don't know either. We'll get into it and then we'll just wrap up with this, but this is a, uh, it's like a three minute clip with this Brigitte John's daughter. I, I wish I knew how to speak. Speak the language. I don't know how to pronounce the words, but okay. You could have searched YouTube for it. Ah, uh, Joey, it was four in the morning. What do, you, what do you want me to do? All right, so this is a clip from Switzerland of Bits. This is about the Icelandic uh, pirate party, and and we'll get into it.
4: Profound development in human history, the internet. It is a double-edged sword at all times. It's the most liberating technological development in the history of humanity. It's also the greatest surveillance tool that's ever been devised.
1: uh, absolutely but this is what (laughs) Snowden said you can only you can't be free the only time you can be truly free is when you're in prison you know because you have no responsibility if you need to take responsibility you have to accept the fact that there's a double-edged sword. There's good and bad to everything but we're not children and we're not prisoners so we have to accept the consequences of what you know what the technology provides it's just interesting that these people are all kind of on the same page I have seen this is John Perry Barlow. He's the co-founder of the Electronic Frontier Foundation, and he's like an early internet pioneer. Okay.
4: Realize all of my dreams for it, and with them, every single one of my nightmares. Come on,
3: fire. The internet is uh, the last remaining free world. Let's make this last free world.
1: That's Birgitta. I'm just going to say Birgitta. We get it. She's an Icelandic parliament member, of, uh, a Pirate Party
3: member. Stay free. Let's not civilize it. In times of crisis, it is the only time we have, as societies and individuals, to do that very necessary transformative change. And so a revolution is not worth anything if there is no evolutionary process.
4: For democracy, there is very little that you ought to be doing that, can, that should be secret, if anything, honestly. I felt that it was important. That there be a place where all the forbidden knowledge could be safely stored and nobody could do much about it. <laughs> and suddenly thought, haha, Iceland had a tradition of openness towards expression and thought.
3: I want to um, make our laws so they fit into the 21st century. We are taking all the best laws from around the world to build one comprehensive. Vision. Iceland is setting itself up to have good
4: laws to go and protect data.
3: What Brigitte is trying to do in Iceland is to build a place
7: that that exists where people have access to the world's knowledge, where the government and corporations are on your side.
4: The information in Icelandic servers would be very much like money in Swiss banks.
5: I think it's going to make a huge difference moving things to Iceland where they have these protections, but also pressuring... Other this nations. is Aaron
1: Swartz talking. When he's done talking, we'll, we'll go on a little tangent here
5: to adopt similar protections. Berg is a real model for how an activist can be influential from the inside, where people can freely see all
1: right. Aaron Schwartz, for those of you who don't know, and it's somebody you should probably look into, um, he was like this genius kid. He helped develop RSS feeds. He helped uh, create creative commons, like on WikiLeaks, like uh-huh. the you know uncopyrighted things that we can all share together. Uh, Reddit, he was involved in that. He w- was... Uh, He he was arrested after he downloaded, you know, JSTOR, like academic journals. Like, everybody that's been to college knows academic journals. Oh, oh, okay. He was at MIT. He had, like, a guest pass or a guest account, and he set up a computer to download all of the JSTOR (laughs) academic journals because he thought that they should be available to everyone. (laughs) Yeah. Knowledge is not something that you should have to pay for, that it's, if we know it, everybody should know it. You have
0: to pay for it for the school.
1: Yeah, exactly. But he didn't believe that, and he was for a much more open free society. He was charged for a number of crimes after that. And he eventually hung himself uh, because Uh. he was going to end up going to prison and they were going to make his life uh, miserable. Somebody that thought that like information should be passed around the globe freely. And this person that was like a real genius person, you know, he, uh, he killed himself because people that are so obsessed with laws, like copyright laws and like locking down information, thought it would be better to put this person in a cage than let them be out in the world like doing good. So It's a fucking shame. It's crazy. I mean, if you guys want to look into that, I mean, that's like nutshell, like really nutshell of it, but you should really look into the Aaron Schwartz story. It's uh, unbelievable. People like Brigitte here and people like Snowden, I would imagine, and people like Julian Assange, they're on the side of like people like Aaron Schwartz, you know?
0: Speak their mind without fear of... And we should all be
1: that's the thing. Like, Mm -hmm. do you think that's okay? Like a guy that's done that contributed that much to all of us and thinks that doesn't matter how much money you have or whatever, you should have access to information. Should he be, should he hang himself? No, no. The fact that
0: he was involved in Reddit is huge too.
1: Oh, of course. Well, he started a company that Reddit bought and then he was involved with, uh, you know, weren't working with them yeah. to, to assimilate it. This person talking right here is Jacob Applebaum. He's a former WikiLeaks spokesperson, and he comes up in the uh, Citizen Four documentary with Edward Snowden.
5: Cushion, where people are able to really um, use the internet as they might if they weren't terrified of being observed or
1: fearful about being blocked. Or It is going to get a lot worse if we don't really work to make it better.
0: Turbulent times uh, offer... Opportunities for change, not just for for those that want more oppression, but also for those that want less. And that if you're prepared, if you're willing to work fast, if you're agile, uh, you can accomplish great change. Uh,
1: June 2013, while Bergita is in the U.S., Edward Snowden releases state secrets documenting U.S. mass surveillance programs. This this documentary came out a few years ago. Mm. Why, why would you want to help him? Give him... Grindelwald Sastran. I'm on Fox. Why, why would you want to help this traitor?
3: Asylum in Iceland. Well, I think that the information that he has provided into the public domain is very important for every individual that uses the internet or uses phones.
1: <laughs> you know,
3: yeah,
1: yeah. ask a stupid question, get a stupid <laughs> answer. Like, well, why, why would you want to save this guy? Well, he gave us information about things that affect literally all of us.
3: I just want you to be aware of that there is a very serious attack on freedom of information, on freedom of speech and expression. So just remember, it is always darkest before dawn.
1: All right. that's uh, That was just like a little sample reel for the uh, Judy Judith Erlrich documentary, Switzerland of Bits, which you guys can check out. I mean, I, th- tangent, right? We go on a yeah. little bit of a tangent there, but I think it's... Uh, Man, I think that's something that a lot of people probably don't know about or realize that w- when I talk about like we're all in it together, it doesn't matter that they're in Sweden. What matters is that they are not Sweden, excuse me, Iceland, what matters is that they're out there putting those ideas out there and we can all adopt those ideas. It doesn't mean it has to stay in Iceland. It means that we need to ex- you know, import those ideas and we need to export our good ideas and share it all around the world, which is what the internet provides, which is why a lot of places want to lock this shit down. China has blocked any reference to the Panama papers on their search engines. Huh. So people there have no fucking clue. That's the thing. Do we need less censorship and more freedom, especially when it comes to the internet information is what it is. People should have worldwide access to it. All the knowledge that we've accumulated, like I said, the hive mind, whatever it is, that stuff needs to be free and available for all people there. Yes, there's a double edge. There's a danger to that, but there's also this brilliant possibility of creating a better society and a better world There's always going to be the negative side of human nature, but let's look towards the light side of that and see what we can all make happen together as opposed to, oh, be fearful of this person. No, well, I'm American. Nope, Mexicans need to stay there. We can't do this. No, that's you're creating these fake divisions between human beings, and that, above all else, filter it through corporations, media, whatever, that's the real problem, you know? I like what Iceland's doing. Yeah. But I'm pretty what sure... What parts of Iceland, what politicians in Iceland, yes. what these activists are doing.
0: It sounds like a great idea. They want to build a safe haven. Fantastic. However, I don't see the other members of the world playing
1: nice. No, and that's fine. That's fine. They don't have to. If we really live in these... Demo- this, is what the, this is where the test comes in. If we really live in a democracy, which I contest, we don't really live in a democracy anymore, but if we did, ideas that work would resonate right yes you don't need other parties to play nice although we're, which we're about to get into in a little bit with this jill stein interview third parties fourth parties fifth parties they can work in coalition to get things done like they did in iceland in this country it's very difficult because once again democrats and republicans are really two sides of the same coin they don't need to consensus build they either agree or disagree and that's the end of it but if there was six parties in the united states or seven parties four of the smaller ones can get together create some kind of legislation and then work with one of the major parties or whatever to get it through, to get it through. Um, they, they don't have to play nice. It's not a matter of nice and the game never ends. What, it, what matters is that you get to a point where people actually have their voices heard and there's enough d- variety in parties available for people to actually get involved and feel like their voice is being heard or let it be a, dim- a direct democracy. You go online, here's all the issues you that we're doing today and you click and you vote. We don't don't live in a time where you need to ride around on fucking horses and have somebody go to the Continental Congress to explain what your position is. No, I know how I feel about it. But that also goes hand in hand with an informed electorate and whatever. There's a lot Mm -hmm. of issues, but it's all worked in coalition for so many years. The, the negative degrading effect of money in politics on how that limits a democracy, the, the shitty educational system in this country, the fact that people have to work five jobs to make ends meet so they don't have time to actually do research and participate in their democracy. Maybe that stuff is going to change with automation. Maybe the fact that we don't have a lot of jobs in this country. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe we need to get to a point where machines and robots and just a small amount of people are doing the work, and then everybody else has the time to figure out how we're going to make this thing good for all of us, right? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be enough? That's not a thing to be feared. It's a thing to be feared if you're a huge corporation. You're like, but, but how am I going to exploit workers if there's no workers? <laughs> well, I don't know. You're going to have to fuck up the world a different way. Right, we'll figure it out, but... I don't know. Does that any of that make sense? Was that too crazy a tangent? I mean, I think it's just an interesting, really interesting conversation to have. Yeah, it's very interesting, but
0: the money issue becomes apparent. Is it, there's no way around it. What do
1: you mean the money issue?
0: In what sense? Well, the corporations wouldn't want to lose all the money.
1: Yeah. Well, but again, the corporations are a function of society. We've let it get to this point, excuse me, globally and in this country, we've let it get to a point where they are running the country essentially because they own the politicians that are supposedly representing us. We've let them hijack the system. It's sort of like a parasite where it gets into the host's brain and it's controlling the limbs of that thing. But the, the thing itself is not actually in control. We have the power to take that back by voting for people that will actually make a difference, not just you know accepting Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump or whatever, or even Bernie. You might not even agree with him. The point being, you need to get people in there that are actually going to get money out of politics to heal the host to, to to get that parasite out of its brain. So then you can go, "Oh, wait a minute. I'm the government. I represent the people. These corporations are too big. These banks are too big. We need to knock them back down to size." Then you can limit the size of government and then you have a real chance of getting things done. But you're absolutely right. The money always is going to be the yeah, issue because be the corporations, issue. they need that is their mission is to make more money. More money, more money year after year. Fine, let that be their mission but we can actually put them in check and say that that is not the goal of this country. That might be your goal, but it's not the goal of this democracy anymore. And it's not the goal of the collective, you know, potentially democracy of the world, the, the coalition of union, you know, coalition of nations that we can build, you know, in, in a real 21st century, uh, whatever, global world.
0: Well, also the other thing that this t- touches on, and I'm pretty sure you're going to have it in the 26 update, yeah, is a moral economy.
1: Uh, do I have that in the 2016 update? Do you have something on that? No, I, I just okay. You well, were. yeah, I mean, I'm sure. I mean, whatever. We can bring it up for sure. But yeah, we, we have a uh, yeah. Well, would you want to expand on that right now? The moral economy. I mean, well, it's just something the Pope was trying to put out there, right? That yeah, the Pope gave a big speech this week. I, I didn't cover because it, it was it didn't go like as far as I thought it could have gone. But the Pope. You know, kind of took a softer tone on a lot of things, but didn't really change church doctrine. so, But go expand on that a little bit. But basically, it, he, he was trying to promote the fact that we should take a
0: more humanistic approach in the economy, and it shouldn't just be about making money. Yeah, of course. That, you know, still, we're human beings on this planet for a reason, and everything shouldn't come down to how much profit, profit can be
1: amassed. No, absolutely. I mean, we can we can get it to a point where look, make as much money as you can, but you have to hit these these this rubric here of your workers are getting paid a living wage. People are being provided So Anything you make over that, you, that's that's part of your expense though. You you can't just operate without expenses essentially, which is what a lot of these corporations are trying to do. Like, we don't have to pay our workers anything cuz we shipped all the money overseas. The products are crap. Uh, you know, they have planned obsolescence. So we're just making money hand over fist but without any regard for anything. That doesn't have to be how it is. That's not a free market. That's insane. Not to mention, I truly wonder how, how much
0: resources is getting wasted that way. If it's oh, like planned please, obsolescence yeah. and it's going to be busted anyway,
1: that's a ton of resources you you just piss away. No, no doubt about it. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Play, wait... Definitely. <laughs> I mean, I, I, there's nothing else I can say to that. You're absolutely right. The waste of resources is, I'm sure, mind boggling that things are not being done efficiently that is being done cheaply, which is they're two different things completely. Um, all right. Pretty good conversation. Yeah. Yes. All right. You ready to get into this 2016 update? Yes. Uh, I, I thought you wanted to do Jill first. Oh, my God. You're so right. Yeah. Let's get to the Jill Stein interview in just one second.
4: Hey, this is Joe List, and that's Mark Norman here. From Tuesdays with Stories, check out our podcast. Tell them why, Mark.
5: You're going to love it. It's other but laughs, jokes, stories from the road, vagina, and that guy. Yeah,
4: you're getting laid. We're being silly. Check it out. Find new and archived episodes of Tuesdays with Stories on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and
1: tune in. All right, Joey, let's get into this. Uh, like I talked about at the beginning of the show, we, we got this Abby Martin uh, interviewing Jill Stein. Um, I got a couple of clips. It was like a 20-minute interview. I have a few clips out of it. But I think it's really relevant and important. I feel like we have a nice theme going in this episode uh, about coalition and, like, different ideas and and trying to, you know, take things that are on the fringes maybe and and bring them more to the mainstream and, and create a better world that way. Uh, people don't hear a lot about Jill Stein, and I don't, I don't think you've heard Jill Stein probably. I have too not. Much. So th- I think this is worthwhile. So I watched this interview, I took some notes, and we'll, we'll play them in a second. And like I said, we're going to close the episode with a really nice uh, 2016 update. Some of the Bernie Sanders daily news interview that I'm sure people that listen to this podcast, if you're tuned in a little bit, you've heard about it. People Bernie took a lot of shit for the daily news interview. We're going to get into that a little bit and kind of defend our man Bernie before the, uh, the fr- primary. Um, all right. Before we do that, let's get into this Jill Stein interview and uh, we'll just make our comments whenever we feel like. How's that sound, Joey? Sounds great. All right. Let me, uh, oh, actually, hold on. Let me, let me tee this up a little bit better. God damn it. Here we go. So now this first clip that we have here and I have what, four clips? Yeah. This was, the question was asked, what was the catalyst for running for president? Okay. Because Jill Stein is the candidate for the Green Party, who is somebody that I definitely will be voting for if Bernie doesn't uh, get the Democratic nominee nomination. And she's who I voted for last election. So there you go. Second.
7: Um, scope that's capable of fighting at the presidential level.
6: Was there a certain catalyst that catapulted you and just saying, I'm going to go for it, even though I know what happened to Ralph Nader, I know that everyone's going to tell me what they're going to tell me, which is you know, we're going to vote against whoever is going to be the, the Republican candidate. I mean, what what compelled you to say, screw it, I'm going to throw my hat in and I'm going to stick with it?
7: You know, I'd have to go back many years, actually, to put my finger on that. But, you know, as a mother and a medical doctor, I had to be dragged kicking and screaming uh, into the political fight. And the only reason I did so was because I saw very clear from my position as a medical doctor what our you know, the state of emergency that Mm -hmm. our health is in and has been for quite some time at a grand level. You know, we're in the sixth extinction right now. It's impacting our health in many ways too and that has to do with the burden of pollution that we're feeling the economic um, stresses of poverty and homelessness, et cetera. We're not doing so well uh, on, on all those counts and it comes back into our health. And when I began to work outside of the clinic I used to practice clinical medicine. Now I say I'm practicing political medicine because it's the mother of all illnesses. Clever. You
0: Very like that? clever.
1: It's a little, you know, it's all right, it's cute. Yeah.
7: Um, and we have to fix this one if we're going to fix the things that are literally killing us. So, you know, it was sort of my, um, you know, becoming clearly convinced, seeing the light that we had to engage in collective struggle, including. Uh, in the in the voting booth, if we're going to move forward, as the stranglehold of corporate government becomes tighter around our throats, uh, I think it becomes more clear to more people all the time. Just witness the revolt going on within the Democratic Party and mm. even within the Republican party. the Political establishment has no credibility and they are terrified that we the people begin to get together outside of the two corporate parties where we can really begin uh, to build an unstoppable force to Transform our lives now,
1: and let's talk about the. Uh, so this is, and I'm going to read. You know what? Maybe we'll go a little bit out of order here. I, I'll read Megan's email because this is what this per- this question kind of pertains to. This I was going to say for the 2016 update, but let's just read it and then we'll mm-hmm. get we'll get back to the interview. Megan emailed me, and it's a quote from the Salon article she was reading, and it's the quote is Unpledged delegates delegates exist really to make sure that party leaders and elected officials don't have time to be in uh, don't have to be in position where they are running against grassroots activist she says i'm at work and we'll write more soon but this couldn't wait best megan thank <laughs> Thanks, you Megan. Maggie. i really appreciate it <laughs> this is what we brought this is what we talked about though like early on with the whole thing like the superdelegates versus the pledge delegates superdelegates are there to stop grassroots or outside candidates it's to keep the establishment in power somebody like jill stein who would essentially be running on a democratic platform even though she's part of the green party um, would never get any of the no, pledge delegates right she's an no she would never get any of the delegates pledge delegates are what you end up getting voted you know We're but, saying, but okay. whatever but okay but it, but right but it's to keep people like her and Bernie to a large extent out of the process and that's what uh the, what this question from, from Abby Martin is about to be about
6: Democratic Party. Uh, You've called Bernie Sanders' support great. However, there have been other rebels within the Democratic establishment before that have ultimately just legitimized the party. Uh, What are the potential trappings his supporters should be aware of?
7: Yes. Um, You know, the Democratic Party has a kill switch. When George McGovern was elected to, um, to be the nominee for the party back in 1972, The party basically decided that could never happen again, and they changed some of the rules of the game. So when you vote in the primary, you're you're voting for the delegates basically to the convention that are gonna represent your state. But there's another process that was added on here by the Democratic National Committee, the DNC. The party established what are called superdelegates, which are not chosen by the voters. They're actually chosen by the party because they are elected officials or they are party insiders. And they tend to be very uh, conservative and they support the conservative candidate. And it turns out those are 20% of the delegates at the convention. So though that 20%, and Bill Clinton is busy rounding up those commitments right now. So he can uh, basically ensure that Hillary has the margin of safety. If she and, and Bernie go into the uh, convention neck and neck, or Bernie is even ahead, they can still um, basically sideline him using the power of those superdelegates. Uh, Dennis Kucinich was locked out of debates and then ultimately redistricted by the two parties collaborating. You know, so this is a scenario that uh, happens over and over again. And it's important to take stock of what it's what is its result, because it's not making the party more progressive. The, it basically serves as a cover. It's a fake left while the party goes right, and the party mm. becomes more corporatist. Mm. And it's important for people to recognize that the lesser evil that we're told to abide by really just paves the way to the greater evil. Uh, one-
1: now— does that what now? That's an intelligent person. Yes, she knows what she's talking about. It's correct. I agree with her. That's the thing. Like, when people then this brings it into sharp relief, which is why I wanted to play this. Don't let people tell you that it's a waste of a vote to vote for Jill Stein or the Green Party. It's not, it's not a vote, it's not a waste. And she's about to get explain how the new deal came into place and the importance of third parties in progress historically in this country and elsewhere. But... Don't let people fucking tell you that your vote is a waste. You half of the country is going to waste their vote on a losing candidate. Mm-hmm. Understand that. All right. Half the people that vote, right? Because what was Obama's winning margin? Four million votes or something. He won 54 to like 50. Oh, that close? Yeah. It's always that close. So 50 million people that voted for Mitt Romney wasted their vote. Huh? right I mean if, if, we're go, if we're only counting wins and losses here losses are fucking losses then it doesn't matter whether you got within three points of the person you lost you it lost. is what it is so voting for Jill Stein is not a losing thing it's saying no you know what maybe we should be paying more attention to this person this is the amount of votes she got and if it keeps increasing that's how a coalition is built don't, don't let people tell you you're wasting your vote or you need to vote against Trump don't fucking worry about it okay vote for who you're willing to go I'll take responsibility for the actions of that person. Cause otherwise you're feeding into this corporatist system. And that's exactly what Jill Stein just said. And I couldn't agree with her more, right? I mean, yes, it's, it's not a waste. Tell people to shut the fuck up. It's a vote. It's your vote. We all get one. So spend it however you like. All right. This is Jill Stein explaining how the new deal came to be and the importance of third parties in progress
7: endless war that we
6: are conducting as this empire. Uh, For people who don't really know the historical context of how the New Deal was actually passed, I wanted you to outline that and kind of the biggest lessons that we can glean to apply to today's society.
7: It actually didn't come out of nowhere. You know, It came out of independent third parties who were standing up for workers and workers' rights and for unions. It really grew out of the labor movement. Um, which put things like social security on mm-hmm. the table, and it grew out of experiments at the state level. And it's important to remember that this fought, fight, the whole fight of the labor movement, was really carried out by, an independent, by a whole series of independent third parties, whether you were looking at socialist, communist, progressive, farm worker parties, etc., There were a whole slew of independent parties who were fighting the battle at the local level. And, and so you had this multi-level political movement on behalf of everyday working people that forced the hand of the Democratic Party, which then began to adopt that agenda. And it makes the point that Frederick Douglass made that power concedes nothing without a demand. And when the third parties folded and they joined the New Deal Coalition and became part of the Democrats, that was essentially the end of forward progress. When you stopped having an independent base to push forward an agenda that wasn't controlled by Wall Street and corporations, the minute that political threat was reabsorbed into the Democratic Party, all forward motion ceased, and progress began to unravel. And that has continued to this day. It's very important to recognize that third parties are a win just for existing. And the traditional sense of third parties is to really be um, you know, social movement parties. So you had uh, parties on behalf of the labor movement. You had parties on behalf of, of um, the abolition of slavery and at the time that that social movement was thriving uh, there was an independent political party called the Liberty Party that, that really formulated that threat and made it a political threat so that it could get traction otherwise you're just blown off, you're marginalized and you don't count. So that. Agenda was then absorbed by another independent third party called the Republican Party, which was just forming at that time. And they began to win a whole lot of elections. So for people who say, forget it for third parties, they've never worked in this country, you know, they're you know, they're not um, they're defying the actual history here, mm-hmm. which is that not only have third parties actually achieved office and very high office, but that in fact forward progress has generally depended on independent third parties they are a good unto themselves and we need to bring them back to the table of
1: course uh, which i completely agree which what we we're just talking about with the pirate party like coalitions of smaller parties equal the power of bigger parties right and that yes and it creates consensus two more clips quick jill stein on being arrested trying to enter the enter the debates in 2012 let me get to that clip
6: uh, where is it here we go you need in 2012, Jill, you were arrested uh, for simply trying to enter the presidential debates. I mean, what was going through your mind at this time? Were you just thinking, "Wow, is there anything that proves more that we do not live in a democracy than what's happening to me right now, just trying to get my voice heard?"
7: My my running mate and I were the only two people in this secret dark site. They had this converted. I don't remember what it was. It was a very large facility, and there were, Sh- Sherry had counted them, I didn't, but according to her, there were about 16 Secret Service and police who were around us in this huge, like, warehouse, mm. and it was only us, and then one other person who was brought we were in. Very dangerous. We were very dangerous. And the whole thing was so absurd, you know. It's so surreal. It was. I mean, we were sort of two grandmotherly types, you know, handcuffed to chairs, surrounded by Secret Service. And we asked, you know, well, do you think maybe you could take off the cuffs? Are we that dangerous?
1: For run, for the crime of running for president. Yes. They won't let her on TV, God forbid. Yeah, like a weird voice like that, right? They're afraid of what she's going to say. Well, yeah, of course, because well, there's no reason to confuse people. We have this whole narrative already built out. We're going to bring this woman in now. It's like it's like bringing in a character in the seventh season that's going to be like a ama- male. It's like, no, no, we got it. Ross, Joey, Rachel, Fitt, we got it. We don't need to add anybody, even though they did. But, that, but whatever, you get my point. It's like, yes. there's no reason to confuse the narrative now. Why, why do it? uh fuck you people that's not democracy then but that's what i'm always talking about what why why why, it would kill people to have her on stage no not at all of course not final clip her response to throwing your vote away and the politics of fear all right all
6: throwing your vote away mantra when it comes to third parties uh, your response to people who say i support you i endorse everything that you're talking about but i have to vote
7: against trump or against hillary Give them the benefit of the doubt because I'm finding a lot of people are waking up right now. So people that you could have wasted years trying to persuade, I'm finding, are like suddenly seeing the light. It's really rather staggering. Why? You know, because it's like fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Fool me three, four, five, six times. People are beginning to connect the dots and sort of see a pattern here that, in fact, this politics of fear that tells you you got to vote against your greatest fear rather than for your deeply held beliefs. This strategy now has a track record. And in a nutshell, the politics of fear has delivered everything we were afraid of. All the reasons you're told to hold your tongue and to silence yourself and to support the lesser evil. Because in supporting the lesser evil, we silence the progressive agenda. It becomes disappeared. Silence is not an effective political strategy. You have to stand up and fight for what we need. We have to articulate Silence
1: it. is not an effective political strategy.
7: we have to put it on the table. We have to be a threat to the political establishment in order to move it forward. Otherwise, we are entrusting our fate to the corporate predators who have created this incredible mess. So the bottom line is we need to forget the lesser evil and stand up and fight for the greater good like our lives depend on it.
1: Yeah, because they do depend on it. Great, great thoughts on Jill Stein, if that's really your first uh, time hearing what Jill Stein has to say. Evan, I'm going to ask you, too, in a minute. Very,
0: very smart.
1: Yeah. Well, she's a doctor. Yeah. Concise. Yeah. Knows what she's talking about.
0: Right. And if I was to vote third party, that is who I would want to
1: be voting for. That's the thing. And that's kind of the real well, good. I'm glad you feel that way. Evan, you got any thoughts about Jill Stein there? That is the first time you've heard her say anything, right?
5: Yeah. Um, I did some research myself. Uh the Harvard <laughs> education was pretty solid. Not yeah. saying that's the end all be all, but it's definitely a good credential. And uh yeah. What Joey said, she's articulate.
1: Right. The here's the thing, right? I mean, we're getting to a point where maybe by Tuesday, Bernie's going to be out. I mean, we're going to get into that in three seconds, but consider it. You don't have to waste your vote, especially if you live in New York or something like that. Like, although I don't know this time, if Trump were the nominee, whatever, we don't have to get into the whole thing, the specifics of it. But for the most part, if you live in a place that typically is going to go democratic, so why why waste? You? You're not really helping Trump get in. You're just helping somebody that you actually believe in. If what she just said is something you can kind of get behind and do your research, of course. But it's like, yeah, let's let's pay attention to some other political voices. We're getting to that point. We're getting to that point where we, we need to expand the ideology in this country. And Bernie, I think, is really setting a precedent amongst a lot of young voters and people that we hear from this. You know, I get Snapchats all the time and like, oh, I'm paying attention now. And I really agree with Bernie and my class thinks Bernie. Yeah. yeah. There's other options out there. You don't have to just vote for the two people that they put on TV or because your parents are conservative or whatever, you know what I mean? It's like there's options and, and and we should focus on those options too.
0: And she's totally
1: right about the lesser of two evils. Yeah. Well, that's what it is. I mean, we talked about that where people criticize you for voting for. Th- no, I don't have to vote right by choosing the lesser of two evils. You are still contributing to a broken system. Don't contribute to a broken system because that just, you know, keeps that broken system moving forward. Don't participate in it. You can vote outside of that system. It will feel good, I promise. All right, let's get on. Let's finish up with this. I got a 2016 update. Joey's looking at the clock. Look, we haven't done long episodes. I know, I know, I know. (laughs) What's the matter? Are you tired? Oh, look at that. his phone's going off. Joey checked out, Evan. (laughs) This is tough to watch. You all right? Yeah, we're good. (laughs) (laughs) Bernie Sanders over the weekend won the Wyoming caucus with a Percentage total of 55.7 to 44.3 over Hillary Clinton. However, they tied with seven delegates apiece. So he wins by 12 and Stale just ties. That is correct. Let us go ahead to 538. The It's really hard to get Bernie Sanders' 988 more delegates chart. Bernie Sanders, if I'm doing the math somewhat correctly, uh, won by 12 points, right? Uh Uh-huh. According to this Nate Silver thing in Wyoming, Bernie needed to win by 57 points. <laughs> so he didn't do that. <laughs> and he also needed to get 11 of the 14 delegates, and he only got seven. So California. He's, well, he, no, he's, New he's, York. He's I'm telling you, New York. New York said okay. if he can't win New York, he cannot win. Okay? I'm sorry. He can't. I want him to. God knows I do but he can't win if he doesn't win New York. So that's really what you guys need to be focusing on on Tuesday. If Bernie – and not only does he have to win it, he's got to win it by four points at least, Mm. all right? He needs 128 delegates, but he needs to win by four. So if Bernie wins New York, you know, 60 to 40, great, because that's really good. If he does – you know, four points. That's the number you need. So – and he has to win. I mean, he can't lose, especially because he lost delegates here in Wyoming. He won, and he lost (laughs) – that's, that's the fucking issue. That's what we've been talking about forever. All right? Real clear politics right now has Hillary up 13 points in New York, uh, 52 to 39. Still, we got a couple Ooh. more days here. We got the debate tonight or last night if you listen to this. So we'll see. But like I said, it's gonna be, he's been on a little bit of a streak lately. He has been overperforming. But he's, it's, it's an uphill battle, Joey. Eight out of nine, though. I know, but it's which eight out of nine? You know, if California, New York were in there, fine. Then, yeah, okay. Then that's really legitimate. But it, it's very difficult when you're talking about the super delegate process and the raw delegates. He's just behind. He got behind because he just wasn't hitting those targets enough. Bounty. <laughs> I know it's really sad, but let's see what let's see let's see what he does in the debate, and we'll see uh, we'll see what happens on Tuesday. And then look, we're gonna we're gonna update everybody on the next episode. That's how it's gonna be. Let me get into this. Bernie Sanders in the Daily News interview. Now, have you heard anything about this?
0: Yes. What have you heard about? Uh, That somebody doesn't know how to take the subway.
1: No. Oh, no. That's not (laughs) what we're talking about. He (laughs) said tokens. I know. Uh, There was a Daily News interview. Evan, you brought this up to me, actually. You were hearing some people talk about it, right?
5: Yeah. A lot of my Hillary lover friends were... Yeah, what were they saying? Just that he has no clue. and He's not realistic or pragmatic.
1: Okay. Um... All right. Thank you. So I have a little bit of a transcript. I have a little a couple of lines from the transcript of the uh, Oh, Shelby walked in. Shelby, how you doing there? Oh, oh, he just gave me the thumbs up. He loves the show. Uh, we're, <laughs> we're, I have a little bit of a transcript here from the uh, the interview. You're going to be the Daily News reporter, Joey. And I'm going to be Bernie. I to okay. like do my Bernie impression this week before we get into that. The criticism was that Bernie, his answers weren't detailed enough and that it's terrifying that he doesn't know how to break up the banks. Like this is his big policy. He doesn't know how to do it. But like Evan said, it's a lot of people that are like in the tank for Hillary. And I've read a lot of articles. It's like it's pretty clear these people are supporting Hillary. But okay, we're going to read the the, the transcript in a second. These are the three ways you can break up the banks. You ready? Mm -hmm. Pass a law. Pass a law. Putting some sort of cap on the size of the balance sheet of financial companies, usually non-deposit liabilities, caps such as Senator Sher- Sherrod Brown, who is great, he's from Ohio, he's another like Bernie progressive type guy. Sherrod Brown's Safe Banking Act are generally proposed around two or three percent of GDP. So you tie the liabilities, the financial, you know, the balance sheets of these big banks to GDP, and if they exceed that percentage. They can't exist and they need to be broken up. That's one option to do it, and that's passing a law. Have the Council of Regulators, known as the Financial Stability Oversight Council, on which the Treasury Secretary serves as chair, declare the largest firms to be too risky and that they they must be broken up, which is referred to as Section 121. So the Treasury Secretary would have authority over this. The third way is have the Federal, Federal Reserve, along with the FDIC, which is the insurance uh, for the Federal Reserve, determine that the, quote, living wills of the biggest banks, which are plans for how they can fail without bringing down the economy, are not credible, and thus the banks must be broken up, which is Section 165D. Bookmark that. The living wills thing, because we're going to get back to that in a second. That sounds interesting. Yeah, I got a story about it. We're going to get into it in a second. So those are the three ways, right? Let the uh, let the Secretary of the Treasury, through this like mechanism, say that the banks are too big and they need to be broken up. Say that the living wills are ineffective, and if they fail, they're going to bring the economy down so they can't exist in that size. Or pass some kind of legislation and say that they need to be tied to GDP, and because they're over it, they need to be broken up, right? Yeah. That's it. Those are the three ways. This is the interview. Joe, you have the interview in front of you there, right? I do not. Uh, just give me one second. C- please, Joey, come on. You're checking your phone. No, I'm just kidding. You're doing a great job. I love you. You know that. All right, thank you. Um, Evan, how are you doing over there? We're just going to kill some time good, while Joe. Great stuff. Oh, yeah, you enjoying the episode. What do, you, what do you think about the Pirate Party stuff? Pretty interesting, right?
5: Yeah, um, I feel like you're providing me enough ammunition to you know have political debates with my friends. Oh,
1: hell yeah. You're good to go. Yeah. You are good to go. Around that beer pong table or whatever it is, you're going to be set. What
5: do you
0: got? Okay. Well, let's assume that you're correct on that point. How do you go about doing it?
1: They're talking about the big banks. How you go about doing it is having legislation passed or giving the authority the Secretary of Treasury to determine under Dodd-Frank that these banks are a danger to the economy over the problem of too big to fail. But do you think that the Fed now has that authority? Well, I don't know if the Fed
0: has it, but I think the administration can have it. How? How does a president turn to J.P. Morgan Chase or have the treasury turn to any of those banks and say, now you must do X, Y, and Z?
1: Well, you do have the authority under the Dodd-Frank legislation to do that, to make that determination. You do? Just by Federal Reserve that? you F- do? Fiat. Fiat. You do? Yeah. Well, I believe you do. Okay, that's the fucking part of the... T- that, that is what people are talking about, where Bernie doesn't seem like he knows what he's talking about. Even though he said, you pass some kind of... Legislation is passed, you have the authority of the Secretary of the Treasury, or you use Dodd-Frank. That's literally the only way to do it. You will always have people that nitpick, Chris. He could have... Go- I'll say this, because I talked about this on the SoundCloud page. He could have gone a little deeper into detail, no doubt about it. However, the Daily News has already endorsed Hillary... Right. So yeah. clearly they have a bit of an agenda there and he answered the question. Well, what do you want him to do? Like he doesn't need to elaborate on it. And then another part they nitpicked on was that they asked him like, well, what do you do once you break up the banks? And he goes, I don't know. I don't run a bank. That's the right answer. People that are always on the right and they're pro business, they're free market. They don't want government involved in their business practices, right? They, 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 they accept that there needs to be some kind of regulation, but day to day they don't want the government involved. So why would Bernie be the one to tell the banks how to restructure after they're broken up? It's Bernie's job to break them up, and it's their job to, to pick figure the, it out. yeah, to pick up the pieces and figure out what to do with it. That, to me, is an acceptable answer. I don't want Bernie. I mean, of course, Bernie, I'm sure, has an idea of how to do it, but it's not his job to tell the banks how to do it. If they start doing it in a manner that he thinks is incorrect or illegal or whatever it is or dangerous, then then that becomes his problem again. But as long as they're operating at a manageable size and the government can keep a watch over them, who cares what they're doing? Let, let, them, let them operate and restructure in the way that they think it works for them. you know?
0: I wonder you know, they probably be sneaky enough to find a way to, to break them up and still win.
1: They'll figure it out. They're going to try to figure it out, but that's the game. That's the game that's always going to be happening. That's why you need somebody that is willing to at least say, let's break them up and let's make sure they never get too big to fail. That's the whole key in this thing. Of course, they're going to be doing sneaky things and trying to like game the system. But as long as they're gaming, the system doesn't collapse the fucking economy, then fine. If they're going to like risk, okay, then you know, at least, you know, the stakes you're playing at. There's people all over this country that don't understand that when JP Morgan fucks up, it's going to affect them, and it shouldn't. They have nothing to do with it. They're not benefiting from J.P. Morgan, really, right? No, not at all. Not at all. To the point, point, to one of the ways to break up the banks is to say that the living wills do- are not effective and that they don't work. Five out of eight too-big-to-fail banks were just determined to have unsuitable living wills by the Fed and the FDIC. Bank of America, Bank of New York Mellon, J.P. Morgan Chase, State Street, and Wells Fargo are the five. Their living wills are no good. So right there, you already have the ability to break them up. There, there is authority through Dodd-Frank or the Treasury Secretary or whatever. You can break up those five banks right now because their living wills don't work. None, none of the eight were totally satisfactory, but five of them were so bad that it's like, you need to be broken up today. They're terrible. Just in fairness,
0: I, I would want to see what the requirements are and how and by how much they missed them.
1: Oh, I mean, it's, uh, I don't know. You'd have to dig deeper into yeah. that. I, I didn't get into that far. But yeah, I mean, look, do a little research maybe for next week. That could be interesting. But but again, people are going to criticize Bernie. because she doesn't have a plan. The plan is they're already too big. (laughs) Like when Hillary talks about, well, you know, I'd have to, we'd have to look into it and determine, you know, they're too big. We already know. And we know that the things that they're supposed to be doing, they're not doing. If they fail today, we're all fucked. The economy will collapse again and we're going to have to bail them out because they're too big to fail. They are literally too big
0: to let them just go out of business. Well, also the other problem is the fact that most of the banks are even bigger now than they of were course. when the financial
1: crisis did occur. Yeah. Nothing really got passed. Dodd Frank is like toothless. Essentially it just gives you some authority over these other, you know, um, agencies where then you could go in and potentially pass some legislation and get things done. But yeah, that, nothing, nothing major was enacted. Nobody went to jail. Nobody was really punished for this. There's no, not a ton of new rules put in place and that's Obama. Forget it. If you have a goddamn Republican in there, or Hillary, probably who's just as in the tank with with Wall Street as, as Obama. Come on, let's not. Let's be realistic. How many weeks in a row do we have to put the puzzle pieces together before you know? So th- before this starts to sink in, I'm sure people that are listening to this podcast are understanding it more and are probably trying to get on board with it. But it's like, come on, man. The the nation at large needs to get on board with this stuff. Meanwhile. Hillary Clinton, th- I love this story because this is mm-hmm. like, it, it puts Hillary Clinton, it, she's almost cartoonish in her in her dastardly desire to become president. Hillary Clinton is being accused by CBS Denver reporter Stan Bush of using a static noise machine to drown out the audio of her speech to moneyed attendees and financial elites at a speech she gave in Denver. A speaker was pointed at the press across the street. I want to know how big that machine I really was. I have the clips. We're going to oh, listen to yeah. Yeah. The, the, this is what it sounded like without the white noise machine being played so you can hear let's play it and then we'll play the clip once our speech starts because we i'm i'm for you i want more love but i i don't want you to hear what i'm saying to money p- interest no
0: i would like to uh title this segment of the podcast fun with audio
1: oh sure fun with okay. the, what would you do to be president <laughs> okay here's clip. this is no noise machine we're gonna let it play a couple of times Right? So, you can hear chatter, you can hear birds, you can hear music, right? And
0: if somebody was on a mic, you would be able to
1: hear them. Yes. Right? One more Mm -hmm. time. Okay. Now, (laughs) this reporter says, and again, this is just a legend, he can't (laughs) prove it, but this is what he posts these two videos, this is the static noise at the fundraising, once her speech started. And you can hear that it's Hillary talking in the background, but you can't hear what she's saying. Ah, that's effective. Is that, is that ridiculous? That's effective. That's the first one. Wait, that's the first one. <laughs> and then this is the noise machine. Oh, no, no, this is the noise. It's like undeniable. It does its job. It yeah. does its job. What, well, because you...
5: God, Evan, do you have something to say there? Well, the first one sounds like the outside of a bar mitzvah, and the second one sounds like the rainforest.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah, the first yeah. one does sound like a bar mitzvah, exactly. And then the other one sounds like you're standing on the outside of a carnival where they got all the generators running, you know. Uh Joey.
0: What I was going to say was that the people across the street didn't pay for Hillary Clinton to be there, so you have no right to hear what she has to say.
1: Oh, I like that argument. Very good. You 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 really spin things pretty well, Joe. You should go work for campaigns. Yeah, absolutely. Right, it's not that we were trying to distort the med- we didn't you know it's not that people shouldn't hear what hillary's saying to these bankers i mean she's just telling them that they need to be nicer and that they need to take care of people but yeah but they didn't pay the privilege of hearing her say it so why should we allow that exactly i mean i'm still a capitalist great point joey um i i had some trump shit i cut it fuck it oh nice we haven't brought up trump a lot uh and fuck him you know i'm done i'm done with the guy i don't care anymore it's not entertaining he's gonna lose he's a loser so there you go you do you know it's if there's one more debate right Oh, of course. Well, I mean, look, if he's the nominee, of course we're going to have to talk about it. But ah, it's that's going to be not, great. It's not going to happen. Just let it go. It's not going to happen. Uh, all right, Joey. Good episode, I think. Great episode. Went a little longer than we have been the last couple of weeks, but I just had a lot of stuff I wanted to get to, and I thought it'd be fun. Um, Evan, thank you so much for producing the show, and thank you for doing those clips. Guys, again, uh, well, God, you could say a little... Yeah,
5: no. Pretty excited about it. Some good rants. A lot of snacks.
1: A lot of snacks. Yeah, we got the snackable content coming. So, again, you guys can go check that out. And uh, when you see that, uh, that's that's Evan's handiwork. So we really appreciate it. iTunes, you can go on there. You can find the Mandatory Samson podcast. You can subscribe to it. You can rate it, a five-star rating. And you can leave a comment and let people know that you, you feel informed by this podcast. That would be really nice. Soundcloud.com slash Mandatory Samson. You can go on there. You can follow us on there. You can leave comments on the episodes. And then me and Joey will respond to those comments and we can have a little conversation. It's really fun. Uh, you can also share that anywhere you want. I'd love it. If you guys shared those episodes, youtube.com slash mandatory Samson, you go on there. You can watch the full episode video of this podcast. Um, You know, I overlay the audio with the video, so it sounds just as good as what you're going to hear on, you know, on the SoundCloud or whatever, but you get the added benefit of seeing what uh, shirts me and Joey are wearing. Plus, you can see the video clips when we're getting into it and all that stuff. You can also watch the show stream live every Thursday at 4 p.m. There's a very easy live stream link, and you can watch the show. Uh, Also, you can check out the clips like I've been talking about, which I'm excited about, and maybe try to share some of those guys. That'd be really cool. That'd be a good way to help promote this podcast. Get in touch with us, Samson at gmail.com. I'd really prefer that you guys send longer questions and comments to the email. I'll get back and to you. And not on Snapchat. Not on Snapchat. I like to, you know, I'll have a little conversation with people on Snapchat. But for the real long-form stuff, send it on the email. Twitter, I'm at samp M-A-N-S-A-M-P. M-A-N-S-A-N-P. Joey is?
0: Joey from Josie
1: with a Z. Uh, same two names on Snapchat. Again, I don't discourage you from using Snapchat. I love it. Uh, and you can also follow me on uh, Instagram, Matt Mansamp, but I'm at Mansamp everywhere. Joey, uh, he's got different screen names. This kid's a kid's a nut. The New York primary results are coming next week and possibly some debate clips. Who knows what else we're going to get into, but I guarantee it, it's going to be good. We'll talk to you then.